This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show taking a journey through the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your guide, Peter Korchnak. In the inaugural episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, I spoke with a Croatian businesswoman renting and giving tours in Yugo cars in Zagreb. You'd expect something like that from a local. But the tourism business in the countries of former Yugoslavia isn't an exclusive realm of homegrown individuals and companies. And I don't mean foreign tour operators, I mean people from outside these countries with no prior connection to the place, who live there and make a living showing tourists around, and who nowadays are navigating the reality of the pandemic. Today we'll meet two of them in Belgrade. Ralph van der Zeiden is from the Netherlands and has lived in Belgrade for nearly a decade. With iBike Belgrade, he offers bike tours around the city, and with Yugotour, he offers tours in Zastava cars. But uh, in my heart, I felt like, oh, I, you know, I just need to be there. Tiago Caruso is from Portugal and has lived in Belgrade since 2016. With Into the Balkans, he offers tours around the countries of former Yugoslavia to Portuguese-speaking tourists. Belgrade was calling, and in the end, I decided to come to Belgrade. I spoke with Ralph and Tiago online about the sources of their passion for the place, inspirations and process of starting their businesses, reactions from customers and locals, and how the COVID pandemic has impacted their business. The mayor of The Hague, a Belgrade taxi driver, and a giraffe also make an appearance. Let's start with Ralph. He's been in Belgrade longer. The way he tells it, his interest in the region is a classic example of the contact hypothesis. As a child born in 1977, he believed that life behind the wall was all black and white and uniform, and it intrigued him very much. But once he traveled there in the 1990s, he realized everything was in color. Then... Uh, after my studies, I uh, started working for a small NGO um, in Holland that was uh, active in Kosovo. And uh, they were organizing summer universities. Later, we started focusing on helping uh, young people starting their own company um, through uh, business uh, idea contest and everything. So I spent about three or four years with this NGO, and mainly in Kosovo, but also Macedonia. In 2007, Ralph got a job with the city of The Hague at the international department. The then mayor, he um, felt like we should not only host international organizations and benefit from uh, from hosting them, but also do something back. For, well, for instance, the, you have the international the international court for Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia. Uh, the city made money out of that because we're hosting uh, we're hosting that, and there's jobs and employment uh, coming from that. Uh, so uh, a fund was created to yeah to do something in the former Yugoslav countries, uh, and I was lucky enough to uh, to be able to write a a project um, or a policy actually, and uh, use that fund to to go here to the Balkans and to several projects. One reason was to to help people here, but also to improve the image of the Hague because. Especially in Serbia, there's a strong feeling that the court is a political institution and it's anti-Serb and everything. Yeah, we also tried to change the image of The Hague a bit, do projects, uh, cultural projects. We exchanged uh, uh, music, uh, bands, uh, musicians uh, with people from The Hague and from Zagreb, from Sarajevo, from Belgrade. The Great Recession put a damper on these activities. But uh, in my heart, I felt like, oh, I, you know, I just need to be there because since since I started working actually for six years uh, I every two months I would be in the region yeah I just got I would almost say addicted a bit you know I started after two months in Holland every time I got you know my hands started shaking a bit and I had the urge to to go there again see my friends and also see the region and at one moment I thought maybe 
maybe I should just try and live there. And uh, that's what I did. Now it's almost 10 years later and I'm still here and still having fun. <laughs> Tiago first came to former Yugoslavia, to Slovenia, in 2005 as a 21-year-old participant in Erasmus, European Union Student Exchange Program. Whereas Portugal is a centuries-old country at the edge of the continent which borders only one other country, Slovenia appealed to him with its central location, borders with four countries, and sheer unfamiliarity. It was fun to see snowing for the first time in my life. And apart from that, Slovenia is unbelievably beautiful. It was really a life-changing event. It was the start of, of a big passion, which is the former Yugoslavia. So I, I really like history. And I started to investigate why Slovenia, as a country, was younger than me. The seed of Slovenia germinated and grew. I had to see more for myself. I, and I always wanted to, to get to know more. Why does a country collapse? So that all started there from, from the historical point of view. It didn't make sense in my head. So I, I started actually learning Slovenian in Lisbon. So it kept me even closer to this country. So I started to travel a lot. I went several times to Croatia, then to Bosnia, to Serbia, to Macedonia and so on. I always had the feeling like there was something else to see. There was something else, maybe not in that country, maybe in the other one. So I visited Croatia, let's say, and I got the feeling like I really have to go to Montenegro now because I already saw this part of the coast, but there is more to see. Or I visited Bosnia and I thought, I have to see Serbia, I have, I have to hear the other side. So if the Bosnians say this about the war and the Croatians say that, what is the point of view of a Serb? Because it must be different, probably. All of this uh, made me travel a lot throughout the region and I always felt good here. I came to Belgrade three times before I decided to move. I found myself eating in a kafana in Skadarlia Street, that popular street with typical restaurants and typical Serbian music. And I felt so good in this mixture of food, drinks, friends, music and good vibe that I said, I would like to live here one day. And at some point in 2016, I thought my life was kind of stuck uh, in my hometown and I thought this is the moment to go back to former Yugoslavia. Belgrade was calling and in the end I decided to come to Belgrade. So this was four years ago. After you moved to Belgrade, how did you then start the business? So I want to start something simple and also something positive that would uh, contribute positively to, uh, to people here in the region and the region. And as a Dutch guy, I thought maybe I should take a bike and show people Belgrade on a bicycle that didn't exist yet. Uh, and in other cities in Europe, almost each city, bigger city in Europe, you can do a bike tour. Um, so I thought, hey, this is maybe, you know, something I can offer. Also, my background, family background is in bikes. Um, my father had a bike rental company in The Hague and my mother started the first bike tours in The Hague. So that makes sense. But actually, I, I thought, of, I didn't think about it. It was only later that I realized like, oh, maybe I, I'm doing something that's, you know, is in my family blood. And uh, then I bought a secondhand bike. That's what I did uh, when I arrived here in March 2011. And I just started to bike to the city. I didn't get lost, actually. That was a great time just to, you know, follow routes and, and discover everything uh, 
all places in Belgrade, and then develop uh, yeah a, a route that I could uh, offer to uh, to foreigners to, to visitors here. And that just happened. Yeah, I just would stand on the street every day at two o'clock in the center, and uh, I made some flyers and uh, a small small website. I think total investments, including the bike, were like thousand euros. The first day that I started working was first of May two thousand eleven, and it was raining like crazy. It does here in May, so that's one thing in my business plan. I didn't <laughs> include the rain. So um, yeah, that was not a successful, very successful start. But soon enough, um, yeah, people came on the tours, and uh, I would rent out. I would rent bikes from a bicycle rental place here at the riverside uh, whenever I had guests. So my um, yeah, my costs were not very high. If if, if a guest would come, we would walk to the bike rent. I would rent a bike for that person and uh, we would go on a tour. Yeah, the goals of the company are actually to uh, provide to a better uh, environment here, um, to provide some green tourism, so to say, and also to promote cycling in general in the city. It's a, it's a car-dominated city. Less than 1% of traffic is, is bikers. And uh, I had this idea, if I go do this bike tours and also organize other bike events. Uh, I can make the city a bit nicer for everybody. We also, I also uh, want to create employment by uh, hiring guides and also to inspire people to start something because uh, you see a lot of young people, especially then, but still moving away from uh, the Balkan countries and uh, finding their luck and life in, uh, in Western Europe or the U.S., and uh, I see so much opportunities here and uh, I wanted to, you know, inspire people here as well to show like, hey, if I can do it, then you can do it too. The question that immediately comes to my mind is how many people in Serbia have a thousand euros on hand to start a business? That said, I'm curious how the mission to support a startup culture is going. You don't really need thousand euros. If you have a good idea and you, you know, you can start even smaller, uh, and um, with less, that was my story, actually. I mean, I had uh, maybe the benefit of having a thousand euros, but I didn't have the benefit of, uh, you know, speaking the language, knowing the rules. Um, so there's other benefits that, that local people might have, you know, uh, that they can use that I didn't have. Yeah, it's hard to measure how successful that was but uh, or is. But what I can tell is that a lot of people who worked for me as a guide, I think we had over 100 guides over the past 10 years, coming and going. Uh, they're mostly students and they might find another job or they might go abroad. But some of them, they started their own business in tourism and I would help them with them or um, send them guests or help them with, you know, questions they have. So, uh, and especially when Airbnb started to offer these experiences a few years ago, it became easier to offer your tours. So we have a lot of guides now who also offer their own tours. We have a guide that became uh, a manager in my company and now started uh, a food tour here, a food tour company, which is very successful. And then you have, um, yeah, the copycats as well. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's kind of a flattering uh, thing and uh, I, I really don't mind it. Uh, it's great to see that. So I guess, yeah, I hope I inspired some people. Although at the beginning and still probably people are saying I'm crazy and uh, it's, and I remember one of the first days I was working, I was standing on the street, a, a Serbian man came to me and he just, told me in my face it was not possible what I was doing. Well, I, he was seeing what I was doing. You know, I was waiting there for guests and guests came and he was just explaining to me that it's not possible, you know, just impossible that I could give bike tours in Belgrade. Well, 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 he saw I was doing it. So, yeah, some people are not convinced. The story reminds me of an old joke about a Slovak man who goes to the newly opened zoo in Bratislava and when he gets to the giraffe pavilion, he stares at the animal, shakes his head and leaves. Next day, he's there again, looking at the giraffe, shakes his head and leaves. He does that for a few more days until one day he finally loses and says, this animal doesn't exist. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was. I am the animal that doesn't exist here. Yeah, you know, I am mar married by now to a Serbian girl, Jelena, uh, and I think her mother still doesn't believe that I make money with what I do. So uh, even after years, she 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 still doesn't get it how it works. But yeah. <laughs> and how did you go from bikes to vintage cars? I always had this idea to start this Yugo tour. This name, I. I checked, and even before I moved here, I already claimed that domain name, uh, yugotour.com, uh, without really knowing why. But uh, Yugo Tours was the biggest or the only, actually, the state travel agency of Yugoslavia. I had this idea to, you know, do something with it. And then, um, yeah, I don't know so much about cars. And um, I was playing with the idea, and I, I told it to a local friend once. And he got back to me, like, after a few years living here. He said, hey, how's that idea of... Yugo tour uh, going. I said, well, I still want to do it, but, um, you know, the idea was to take old cars made in Yugoslavia, the, the Zastava car, uh, and uh, show people really only history about Yugoslavia and also show places I couldn't sit, show on the bike tour because, you know, they were not possible to bike there. Uh, that's the main reason. Uh, yeah, I had this idea to do this with old cars from the Yugoslav times, show the history and the story of Yugoslavia in Belgrade. Um, and he said, well, you know, maybe I can join and we can buy our first Zastava car uh, together, and so it happened. So he, you know, he he knew how to register cars, and you know, he knew how to find a meister, as they call it, a uh, repair guy who could uh, fix it. So with his local help, um, yeah, then I got you know started that adventure, and uh, yeah, that that grew, and that was very popular actually, and um, actually it's now in some ways bigger than the, the bike tours. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I started it because I, yeah, I wa really wanted to go more in depth about the history of Yugoslavia and show that in, a, yeah, in the best way possible, as I see it, uh, in a piece of Yugoslav uh, history. So that's how that started, I think, in 2013 or 14. Yeah, we bought our first car. Tiago, you went from not knowing where Slovenia was on the map to guiding Portuguese-speaking tourists through the region. What inspired you to start a travel business? I saw clearly that this region had a lot to offer has a lot to offer while only croatia is famous but there's much more uh, apart from croatia there are at least three religions in this region there are a number of peoples of minorities of uh, languages even alphabets so all these mixtures seemed very interesting for me and while I travel these less known countries, like, for example, Bosnia, Serbia or Macedonia, I saw always such amount of beauty and of interesting places that I thought, how is it possible that people don't know about this? People don't have a clue in Western Europe and probably all of Europe or probably the entire world. How is it possible that people never went to, never heard about Ohrid Lake in Macedonia, for example? It's unbelievable. It's extremely beautiful. How is it possible that people never tasted these local cuisines, which are also amazing? How is it possible that people hear about Bosnia and they think about war, while I think about UNESCO heritage sites? These were things that I started to feel like there's so much material here, let's call it like that, and people don't know about it. And I do. So I want to I want to tell them that it exists. I want them to come here. 
guys, you must see this because this is just around the corner and this is amazing. Before he moved to Belgrade, friends would ask Tiago for advice on what to see and do in the region. Once he arrived, he began developing the business. So I had a bunch of friends who told me, yeah, we would like to visit you and so on. Different friends, they didn't know each other. And I said, guys, I cannot travel with every one of, of you. <laughs> so let's try to put everyone together. So they, they got to meet each other and uh, seven of them came. And I organized a tour uh, from Belgrade to Dubrovnik. So I, I like to call it like the best of the former Yugoslavia. So for me, this was kind of uh, a test. And it went really well. They all liked. We had a bunch of adventures, uh, typical uh, Balkan stuff. Yeah, the car broke down several times. It was <laughs> it was a nightmare, but it was really cool to be honest. Um, and now when we meet and we speak about that, of course, now it's like a joke. I I usually say it was kind of a Kusturica movie. You know, everything can happen, and it was successful. And uh, I decided that was the moment to create Into the Balkans. So this brand, Into the Balkans, has the objective of bringing Portuguese-speaking people to the region, obviously. So not only Portuguese nationals, but also Brazilians. And it started through a cooperation with a local company. I was creating the tours and contacting the, the potential clients. And then the logistics were done via a local operator and recently i decided to create my own company i would say to assume 100 percent control of this uh... ralph estimates that 60 percent of his customers are from northwest europe and scandinavia 25 percent from the rest of europe and 15 percent from outside europe with occasional chinese and american guests 88 percent of tiago's customers are from portugal the rest from brazil what has been the response from your target audiences from your customers have you encountered any challenges of running a tour business in this region yeah well in general very positive you of course have guests that uh, that really come specifically and uh, to the tour and really want to to learn they have a background already sometimes in in history or they, they know about it and uh, but still even for those people we can tell stories that they wouldn't find in in books or uh, things that are new to them and we work a lot with local guides i do some tours but i i prefer actually uh to to have you know local people doing the tour and also to share their personal stories about yugoslavia some people are almost too young to remember but still then they have their parents or grandparents and you know uh it's great for people who are interested in the history to to have a personal conversation with somebody who you know who lived in yugoslavia or uh, has a, a personal memory for it uh about it um so these that's one group of people and then uh what we notice is like um as a as a touristic thing to do uh as a tour uh, it's also very interesting for for companies actually and for bigger groups so sometimes we have bookings uh, for a group uh, maybe a company comes here for a weekend from holland and they want to brainstorm or have some fun you know they go on a company trip um so that's a totally different group of that's the other extreme so to say of, of guests they know nothing about belgrade or yugoslavia and uh, yeah even even those people we yeah we get interested very quickly. You see that you go to a place and you start the story and 
they just maybe they are there for a really fun experience uh, in in Belgrade for the nightlife and everything that Belgrade is famous for, you know, without making them too serious. They really are interested, and, uh, and they, you notice from the questions that they they hear a lot of things they never expected or uh, you know heard about before. They have some you know uh, some ideas about Serbia or Belgrade, but you, you know they never heard about the story of Yugoslavia. So we have all kinds of people actually, and the fun thing is with these big groups. I mean, I own about six cars if they're all driving. Um, mostly there's one or two out of order. That's what happens with just of us. But yeah, so we had tours with, I think, 30, 35 cars were the biggest tours. We only fit three guests. And then I have to find like people with, you know, with just of us owners uh, and um, yeah, get them all to line up. Uh, yeah, at least them. And these are the drivers as well then. And uh, yeah, it's a great event. I mean, these cars, you don't see them so much anymore, at least not in, in Belgrade. And uh, then we drive it 35 cars through the city, which is a real sight to behold, you know. It's tough to speak about this region because people are not familiar with it. The basic knowledge that most of them have is regarding the 90s. So it's still in the back of their heads that there was a problem, there was a conflict, and, and people still often ask if it's safe, for example. That is a common question. Is the region safe? So although these problems are solved for 20, 25 years, there's still very bad, a very bad reputation from some countries, especially Bosnia, for example, also Serbia, the region of Kosovo. When we overcome this doubt about this region and people do give it an opportunity, the response is very good. So there's a lot of resistance until they come or until they say, yeah, why not? But the ones who come, they are always uh, marveled with the region because they didn't expect. Maybe Croatia doesn't have that potential for surprising that much. People already have an expectation, a high expectation when they go to Croatia. And in the end, they say, yes, it was amazing uh, as we expected. So it's positive. But when tourists come to Macedonia, to Serbia, to Bosnia, to Slovenia, they are amazed. They are really amazed. I had a few complaints, yes, that we didn't like the restaurant or, or I don't know, we didn't like the bus. This kind of, of things uh, can happen uh, when you work in this industry. But the core is, is very positive, very positive. People are very surprised with the food, with the views, with the historical and cultural heritage of this region. Because they didn't expect anything. Or or they, they had a bad expectation, actually. It's easy to to make them love this region also. And then there's, there's something else. It's still relatively cheap, which is also an added value. Um, there's many countries and small countries, so it's always easy to combine two or three countries in, in a seven-day or ten-day trip, which people also like because... You know, they can say that they visited more than just, uh, I went to Yugoslavia. Ah, okay, you went to a country. And nowadays they go to Serbia, Slovenia and, and Croatia and they went to three countries. So it's like a psychological effect. But it exists. You give various kinds of tours to various kinds of customers. What role does former Yugoslavia play in your marketing? Do you have any products that are specific to socialist Yugoslavia? 
Yeah, the Rise and Fall of a Nation tour was the first tour we made. And, you know, I, I have this very, well, romantic image or, I mean, it's so, so exciting to be, you know, in the capital of a country that doesn't exist anymore. I think that is one of the unique selling points of, of Belgrade. You know, that's where, where Yugoslavia kind of started, you know, uh, it was the, the political center of, of Yugoslavia and also where it ended. But, uh, you know, you, you can tell the whole story from the rise uh, to the fall of um, of Yugoslavia here. We start uh, here in a small concentration camp, actually. It's here in the middle of the center. It's called Stado Saimiste. Yeah, that is a place that uh, was built in the 1930s as a trade center, so to say. Um, like there were different buildings, different pavilions, and uh, uh, people were offer- countries were actually offering their products there. So you had the Italian pavilion and you had the Hungarian pavilion and trade was being done there. It's a nice little area modernist uh, design of the buildings and uh, when the germans uh, when the nazis occupied uh, uh, belgrade they turned it into a concentration camp they actually rounded up uh, all the jews in the in the city and and brought them there yeah it's very sad this is a bit of a dark story it's also very dark to start always the tour there but uh, yeah the people were killed actually there and uh, are from there and uh, it's a really dark place like any concentration camp of course but now, uh, yeah, people live there, and uh, it's strange. Some there's even a restaurant, and there's shops, and it's still the same buildings used in you know in the forties. And uh, that's uh, for me a very good point to start because it all Yugoslavia uh, started before the Second World War, but socialist Yugoslavia started uh, in 1945 by the end of the war. So it's good to to start at that place. And then we go on a route, um, and which at each stop uh, we we highlight another aspect of uh, of Yugoslavia. So um, we stop at uh, the former government building of Yugoslavia, and we talk about the politics of Yugoslavia. We go to a big building, um, uh, I call it residential building, the Genex Tower, the, the 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 gate to Belgrade. If you enter from the from the highway uh, from the airport on the highway. Uh, the highway of brotherhood and unity, you will see uh, this big Genex tower. And we talk about daily life or politics also of, uh, sorry, economics uh, in, uh, in Yugoslavia. So we go to different places, Hotel Yugoslavia, we go to, and we tell about Tito and, uh, you know, how, how famous he was in the world actually, and about his diplomacy and also about his, his hobbies and, you know, his quirks actually. Yeah. We, we take different places and each place, each location, each building, uh, we use to tell a different aspect of Yugoslavia. And uh, this tour ends at the Museum of Yugoslavia, where is also the, the mausoleum of Tito, the, the, the former leader of Yugoslavia, who is buried there. And um, yeah, that's that's the end of Yugoslavia, maybe in some way, you know, the, the, maybe the death of Tito is also the death of Yugoslavia. I think some in some way you could say that. Belgrade really allows us to tell the whole story from the start to the finish. It depends on the, on the tours. For example, if it's Slovenian Croatia, it, it's more difficult to tell that part of, of history or even of the story of, you know, uh, the 90s on because those countries have moved on, I would say. It's not a coincidence. They were the first ones to, to break away. And um, obviously, most of the people on those countries want to move forward you know and and they have focused more on the european union for example they still try to put the past behind their backs i would say and they are doing better also economically so they focus on the future the other countries 
people always uh, i mean the locals uh, still long for yugoslavia still have mixed feelings about yugoslavia most of them positive feelings especially compared to the to the current situation economically so when we visit other countries i do try to tell a lot of, about yugoslavia and i you can come and just check countries in your list like i went to north macedonia i went to serbia and to montenegro and so on but i think it's more interesting if apart from that so apart from just visiting what it is today if you can make this jump into the past this trip into the past into 30 40 years ago because i, I think it's just more interesting you know to understand the culture the, the country you have to know what happened in the past if you start going backwards there's a lot to tell and i think in the end of of each tour when we do this historical point of view i think it's culturally much more interesting and much more enriching for the tourist and most of our tourists are seniors so they do remember all of these names uh, they remember very well the conflicts in the 90s although they don't know very well what happened i mean 20 30 years have passed but they surely know that something happened and as i said they remember tito they remember yugoslavia as a powerful country when we get on that spot i mean sometimes it's difficult to lead people into that interesting spot you know like if you just start saying a bunch of historical facts it's not in interesting but if you succeed in making this storytelling then it's very interesting you know and for example when we are in belgrade and um, you know we visit novi beograd the, the new belgrade neighborhood where a lot of buildings were built at that time for the, the local government and then we visit the mausoleum where tito was buried that is really telling a story and that is much more interesting than coming to belgrade and just looking at facades the tourist who comes to see facades expecting to see monuments in belgrade will be probably disappointed once you see across those facades and you realize what's inside and you see the soul of the city then it's fascinating and that happens a little bit with tito the mausoleum and all the story around him and all the social construction the socialist views from that time even building the, the neighborhood of new belgrade with those socialist ideas the blocks uh, of buildings are not that pretty but the idea that is behind is so when we manage to tell this side of the story people immediately stop seeing stop looking at ugly buildings to seeing something humanistic you know uh, ideals of that time which is interesting especially for the senior tourists no doubt you're both foreigners from western europe at that what has been the response from the locals to this fact what do people say about foreigners taking people around their cities, their countries, telling their story for them? Actually, the first response was extremely positive. 
from, from people, from the media, but also really people on the street. I didn't expect this response uh, that I got with Hugo Tour. It was very emotional, actually, in a very positive sense. Older people would stop me and they would see me with my car or, you know, driving the Zastava. And I remember one cab driver was just, he pulled up next to the traffic light and he rolled down his window and he started to, you know, when it turned green, he all started to, both started to drive and he just kept on talking about Yugoslavia and about his children. And I don't know. He just had so much memories of Yugoslavia when we were driving. He was just shouting through the window, all the great things. And uh, these cars, of course, everybody here, uh, you know, of uh, 30 years and older, at least <clears throat> have a memory of a Zastava or a Yugo car. Yugo is kind of a model of the Zastava at gas stations or anywhere. People will, you know, come to you, ask about the car and then, you know, tell their own story uh, about the Yugo or the Zastava. They they went to the coast with with the whole family, or how they crashed one, or how they, uh, you know, uh, made love for the first time in a Yugo. You know, I, there's just so many stories and so many memories. Everybody has a memory of this car, and uh, yeah, as I said, you don't see them so often anymore. So this was all very um, positive. A lot of positive reactions. And a lot of uh, emotional uh, reactions, not just like "oh, great that you're doing this," and uh, but emotion. Yeah, people. You know, it's a trip to mem- down memory lane for a lot of uh, local people. I don't remember any negative reactions actually. Also, not online. At the beginning, when I started bike tours, there was you know sometimes a bit of negative reactions. What is this Dutch guy coming to do here? And he must be a spy. This is the standard thing if you come as a foreigner, you know, to Serbia. You can't be here because you like it. You must be a spy. The mentality changed here in general a little bit over the past 10 years. Being a foreigner and telling the story of Yugoslavia, I mean, I didn't really get the negative uh, reactions from it, but I don't know. I mean, nobody was doing that before I did it here. There were no tours, you know. I, as I told you, there was only the Museum of Yugoslavia, which was also in a pretty bad state, and it became better now under better young management, I think. They tell the story better. Yeah, nobody was doing it, and I was just surprised by it. I was interested in it, and I wanted to offer, you know, to open it up, the story, to to other interested uh, people. And I think the benefit of being a foreigner is that I don't really have that emotional connection with Yugoslavia, and especially not the end of Yugoslavia, of course. I mean, uh, if you talk to a lot of, especially older people, they they view uh, Yugoslavia as a success story economically, and it was a world power, and, you know... You always hear the story about the Yugoslav passport, which would bring you everywhere. You know, you could go to each country without uh, needing a visa. So there's these positive memories for a lot of people. There's also negative memories, of course. Uh, but in general, there's this romantic idea about how great it was in Yugoslavia. It's a very good question, actually, because um, I'm not the only foreigner working uh, on tourism here, but uh, there are not that many. I think people are, are interested a bit shocked even um and and the question is usually but why <laughs> but why <laughs> but it it's interesting because uh, i think they feel proud actually of of their country or their former country of all the region in most of these countries uh, people still have that uh, feeling for the former yugoslavia i think they are proud like here's a foreigner who comes and who sees our beauties, our, you know, our the beautiness of our land, uh, whether it is Serbia, Bosnia, whatever, as a as a whole, 
and they are surprised, but they 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 feel happy that actually someone kind of fell in love with their land uh, so much that this guy from Portugal wants to learn the language and and show it show the the country to to foreigners. Usually, there's also this this feeling like um, people tell me, ah, you know it better than us. But this this happens frequently, I think, when you're a foreigner who lives in another country you often know that country better than than locals uh, because you just are more interested in finding every detail in visiting every city or town yeah not missing the details to get the the big picture so it, for them it's usually interesting yeah that i'm doing this how has the pandemic impacted your business Basically, everything is on zero, you could say. As of March 13th, when you know the lockdown started in, in this part of Europe, um, yeah, it went down very quick. And um, we're open still in Belgrade for renting out bikes and also for doing Yugo tours. And we have an in- incidental booking. You know, we have a kind of new group of tourists. Uh, we have, for instance, uh, Americans coming because they can't travel to the EU. They travel to Serbia where they can go. And, uh, you know, they're still in Europe. We had people, I had a couple who wanted to go to Amsterdam, but then they changed to Belgrade because, you know, they could still travel to Europe. Uh, but also an American guy who has a Romanian girlfriend, he couldn't visit her in Romania because he was not allowed in. So they would both come to, to Serbia. So you have this new kind of visitors uh, somehow. But uh, business-wise, it's, uh, it's just uh, surviving, actually. I was planning uh, some big investments this year and uh, buying a lot of new bikes and e-bikes and hopefully also maybe some Zastavas. But uh, yeah, I I could stop that investment luckily just on time, else I would be sitting here with no money and a lot of new bikes. But uh, yeah, now we're spending that money to pay the rent. And yeah, we're just hoping. uh, We do see, you know, when there's, uh, when borders open, which happened for a very short period of time, I think. Yeah, suddenly we, we saw tourists coming quite quickly again. Uh, not the numbers we used to, but uh, yeah, then that shut down again. So it's really uh, 100%, 99.9% less. And uh, I just hope that this will pass and uh, that we are, we are there for next year again. The drop is around 100%, to be honest. Flights were cancelled and there's no way people will come. So. All the tours that were planned for 2020, because until February we had already scheduled uh, some tours and we were in the process for some more. So everything was frozen and postponed for next year. But now, I mean, since June, maybe I would say there's uh, interest is, is growing again um, after that crazy <laughs> initial pandemic. So... Some people now realize that they can be safe if they follow the, the rules. But the problem is still that some borders are not opened. And since there are not that many direct flights, uh, either from Portugal or, or from Brazil, they need to make a connection flight somewhere. But that's an additional problem because, you know, will that country allow me to go in? Will that country close the borders? Usually you have you you must have two flights um so if only one of of them is cancelled or postponed or something the other one will be jeopardized also so 
there are many challenges that are now preventing people from traveling. I think it's not the fear of the pandemic anymore, of getting infected. Uh, now are more these technical issues. Apart from that, uh, if you think that this region is probably the last one or one of the few last ones to be undiscovered, I mean in Europe, and to be cheaper than the rest, it's not only Western Europe, I mean Central Europe, let's say Hungary, Czech Republic, Poland, uh, maybe Bratislava even, and other, let's say, Baltic countries they are getting more and more expensive because the tourism has grown uh, a lot in the past few years. So this is that last frontier, I would say. I'm not speaking about Croatia, actually, because it, yeah, it is already very famous, but everything that is around, and there's this growing feeling of wanting something special. They want something new. They want something authentic i would say um, so this region will play will play an important role in the coming years let's forget about the pandemic once the pandemic is over and we go back to normal this region has to catch up with the rest of europe Ralph and Tiago's stories remind me of the time a few years ago in Portland, Oregon, I went to a traditional dance event organized by the Bulgarian Macedonian community. As I watched Americans with no formal connections to the culture don traditional garments and circle dance the night away, I asked one of the organizers, a towering Bulgarian named Vesko, how he feels about all these quote-unquote foreigners being here. I love it, he said. They're doing more for Bulgarian culture here than most Bulgarians I know. Sometimes it's outsiders who tell our story best, or at least from a different angle, precisely because they're on the outside, free from the baggage of history, of group identity. Sometimes it takes outsiders who, with their different vantage point, different way of seeing, see beauty in what we consider normal because it's always there. Or maybe it's just about turning your passion into opportunity, you tell me. As someone who prefers to travel independently, I take Ralph's or Tiago's tour only out of curiosity to observe and report what the customers say. That said, I'll definitely take Ralph up on his offer to take one of his Zastavas for a spin when I'm next in Belgrade, after the pandemic, next year or the year after next or whenever. Maybe we'll meet there. Until then, I'll wistfully recall my travels through former Yugoslavia over the years. And, hands shaking, heart aching, I'll imagine all the future trips I'll take, the people I'll meet, the stories I'll hear. Sretan put, bon voyage. That's all for this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia. Thank you for motoring along. Find the resources for this episode as well as subscription links in the show notes at rememberingyugoslavia.com podcast. And if you would like to continue touring Yugoslavia's memory, support the podcast on Patreon or tell your friends. I truly appreciate it. Outro music courtesy of Robert Petric. Additional music by No Sense, licensed under Creative Commons. I am Peter Korchniak. Ciao!
Thank you.